This is Meditations for Misfits for Christmas 2023. I'm Fred Gruy. Welcome. A famous philosopher once said, as human beings, we are story-making machines. In this reflection, we consider how the God of the Bible has a history of interrupting our stories. There's an African proverb I love, and it goes like this. We are not made of flesh and blood and bone. We are made of stories. And what the wisdom of that proverb says to us is whatever it is to be human is more than the organs and the tissue and the sinew and the bone and the muscle. Whatever it is to be human, much of that, a lot of that, if not most of that, is the stories that we create about who we are, why we are, what we should be, what we shouldn't be, what we aren't, these stories that we create. And I think there is great truth to that wisdom. The stories we tell ourselves about how and why we are. And I, I, I have to tell you, I did a lot of research over the years of my life into these stories that we craft about who we are and why we are. And, and in all of my study and research and experience, really there are four elements of this story-making project that we draw from to create our life narrative. So we don't create it out of nothing, but we create it out of stuff. And the stuff we create our stories out of primarily are our actual lived life experiences. Those things that actually happen to you and to me. That's a primary source of our storytelling. And those can be good things or bad things. They can be good things like falling in love and actually having someone you love fall back in love with you. <laughs> or it could be winning a lottery or getting a scholarship to a college, or who knows, being chosen for a play that you want to be in. So they can be good things, but they can also be traumatic things, like being violated, or being abused sexually, or physically, or emotionally. And we try to make sense, why did that happen? Why did that happen to me? Did I cause that? So we, we create these stories. So one element is our life experiences. We also draw from what we learned as children in our nuclear family. That has a huge imprint on how we go about living life in the world. If my family taught me growing up I was the problem child, then when I get diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, well, that's what I deserve. I was always a problem. And so we craft these stories. Well, that's who I was. Or if I was the caretaker in my family, I had to take care of everybody else. We take on that role, and that helps shape the way we understand our life and what happens to us. So those are two, two elements that we draw from, our experiences, our nuclear family teaching of who we are. Third, and very important, is our culture. What our uh, culture tells us about who we are, based on the color of our skin, our age, our educational degree, there are expectations given of us and to us that we have to live up to. So that's a major element we draw from. And then the fourth 
and people will argue with me, but I will win the argument. So is, is whatever it is we think about God or the divine or whether you believe in God or not, it still has an impact on how we live life and how we choose to be people and try to make sense out of our reality. Now, I bring these forward to us this evening because I just want you to be aware these stories that we create are made up. They're not reality. It's just the way we process information to try to figure out who I am and why I am now. And they're very fluid and they're, they can be assaulted and they can be changed and they, they can, uh, yeah, they're not, they're not static, they're not fixed and they're not reality. They're what we tell ourselves. And these things that I've suggested to you are always running in the back of our heads like on your computer you have if you're operating on a PC you run Windows which is a program that makes all the software work. If you don't have Windows on your PC none of the software is going to work or if you're an Apple person you have an iOS system that makes all the software work but without that operating system, none of the software works. Well, these four things I've suggested to you are like the operating system running around in the back of our heads making our life work and we're not aware of them but they're there and I just would like you to be aware of them tonight because what I see in this story, which is one of the most famous stories you and I have ever heard or been told is that this being we call God has a habit, at least in the Bible, of interrupting stories and changing them. And, and generally, if God's involved, it's good that God has interrupted the story. So for, for the, the story that is given to us this evening, Luke, the author of this story, is playing somewhat of a game with us because as the story is given to us, Caesar, the most powerful human being on the planet at the time, think of uh, someone like President of the United States, the President of China, and Putin all put together that kind of power in Caesar, is a pawn to God, on a, like a chess piece. And God plays Caesar like a piano. And, and, and God puts it in Caesar's head to take up a census in the whole Roman Empire so that Mary and Joseph could travel to the right town, that Jesus could be born at the right place at the right time. And so the most powerful human being on the planet, Caesar, is just a tool to God. And God interrupts the life of Mary and Joseph. Two simple, poor, unknown people in the backwoods colony of Palestine and the Roman Empire. Nazareth at the time, archaeology tells us there were maybe 120 families there. These are poor, think of Chihuahua, Mexico, some little barrio, and there's poor people there. And all of a sudden, God is going to change their lives, and not only their lives, but millions of other lives through these two unknown, poor, backwoods people. Mary and Joseph just to say, oh, we'll get a job, we'll try to make a living, see, try not to get killed at an early age, see how well we can do. And it all gets interrupted by this divine being. 
Now, if God were going to do something significant, smart money would have been that God would do it in Rome, where everything was happening, or at least in Jerusalem and at the temple, but in the middle of nowhere, Palestine with poor people, if God was going to do something significant, that's not the place you do it. God used the very ordinary to do it. And so we have this young maiden, her partner, they're not even married. She's given birth to a child of suspicious parentage in a barn. And that's going to change everything. That's kind of crazy. God certainly interrupted their life story in a significant way. And, and I find their story has changed significantly by the most ordinary of things. So the angels show up to all these shepherds. And, and we're, see, we're always looking, when, when we hear the God word, we're always looking for the spectacular. Where's the fireworks? Where's the, where's the feelings? Where's the, where's the juice if God's involved? But, but God sends these angels to wake the shepherds up to go look at the most ordinary thing in the world. A, a, a young couple, poor couple, having a baby in a barn. There's nothing spectacular about that. That's about as ordinary as it gets in that time and place. And so the purpose of the angels is to wake the shepherds up to see the ordinary. Because they, they're so busy. You're trying to get, we try to get on with life. We got this to do. We got these projects. We got to do this. We got to do that. We get so caught up. We, we can miss what is right in front of us that could change our stories radically. All right. So that's enough theory. That's like a lecture at a class for theory. Here's, here's, here's a little slice of reality for you. So last... August, August of 20, what is 23, 20, so August of 22, I retired after 17 years as a hospice chaplain. My retirement lasted all of two months. <laughs> so I'm sitting around the house with nothing to do, driving my dear wife Nancy crazy, and there was an opening here at this church for an interim minister. Now I, at least on paper, had qualifications to do that, but truth be told, I had no idea what to do. I hadn't been a pastor in 30 or 40 years, you know. Good golly, back in the Stone Age. Uh, of a little evangelical church, nothing like this. And so uh, I thought, well, if they're struggling to find somebody, I'll let them know, look, I'll help out if they need. If they can't find anybody else, I'll let them. So I sent in my paperwork. The council interviewed me. So I came in for an interview. And it was about a two-hour interview. And I got home and I thought, oh God, I stunk the joint out. They don't want, I don't, they obviously know I have no clue what I'm doing. <laughs> and this will be embarrassing because they're friends of mine and they're going to think, oh, how do we let this idiot down <laughs> softly? And so to help prevent, because this is the story I had created in my head. So I said, to prevent this embarrassment, I'll call Linda our conference minister, and say, take my, withdraw my name. It was a mistake. I was, had too much to drink. I sent it in. Forget <laughs> it. I'm not what you, we all know, I'll, I'll bow out gracefully. 
I'm sitting in my bedroom on the bed with the phone in my hand. I am dialing Linda's phone number, I swear. My wife Nancy comes in. Nancy's a Buddhist. And she goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm going to call Linda and say, they don't want me. This is absurd. She goes, stop it right now. Put that thing down. I said, what? She goes, you don't know what they want, what they're thinking. Just let it unfold. So I literally put the phone down. I had the, I, I, was, I was three digits into the seven, 10 digits calling Linda. Had I not listened to my wife, the last year of my life would have been so different. And our life together. I mean, look, I still have no idea what I'm doing. But we're having fun not knowing doing it together. And this year has been so rich for me. And I have grown so much in allowing you to love me and me trying to love you and trying to figure this stuff out together. How different would my story have been had I not been intervened with by my wife. Can God use a Buddhist to talk to somebody? <laughs> if you're stubborn, I guess. But, so you see, that's the way. That, so, and what I'm suggesting to all of us is we all have created these stories. Well, I can't do this. I'm too old. Or I don't have enough money. Or I'm not, I don't have enough health to go on that trip. Or I can't do this. I can't do that. I don't know enough. Or I've been damaged from my youth. Or, you know, I'm not emotionally stable. Or I'm addicted to whatever. We tell ourselves these stories that are life-limiting. And if I read anything out of this text tonight, I read about a God who invades life limiting stories to do something new and different and creative. So I've got a Christmas question for you. When you get home later and you've had something to eat or drink and you're getting ready and you lay down and it's night and you're thinking about the day and the year and you're quiet in your heart. What, here's the Christmas question. I would offer us this evening. What life-limiting story has imprisoned your living? What, has, what have you told yourself that you just can't because you're not? And what if this Christmas God were to impregnate that story with new possibilities. What would that be like? And, and I'm suggesting don't look for something spectacular to happen for God to interrupt your life-limiting story. It could be in the most natural, simple ways. As, as I have read people throughout history that have had their life story altered by divine interruption. Augustine, one of the great doctors of Christianity, one of the teachers, was, was really a wild guy. He was in his backyard one day, and he heard a kid next door in the next house reading out of the Bible out loud in the backyard. And it rocked his world, changed his life. 
Basho, a great Zen master, heard a frog plop on a lily pad, changed his life. Hearing a frog plop on a lily pad, he had an incredible satori awakening. John Wesley, one of the, the great preachers in American history, was really a failed minister, was trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life now, went to a really boring Bible study, and they were reading Luther's preface to the book of Romans, which is a snoozer. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he felt his heart strangely warmed and changed his whole world and many people's. So the very simplest of things can be used by this divine being to help rewrite our life-limiting narratives. Now, I'm just thinking out loud here. And I'm not suggesting that God will change your story on the, uh, with the global impact that we read about with these folks from Bethlehem tonight. But if God were to interrupt your life-limiting story so that you might be able to engage the days of your life more robustly, giving yourself more freely, with more love, with more purpose, with more joy, wouldn't that be a nice Christmas present for 2023? And so I'm just suggesting that you open your eyes, open your ears, open your heart to the possibility of your life-limiting story being rewritten. And I love the way the text gives to us that Luke tells us, Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart as her story was being rocked. May it be so for all of us this evening.